March 25th marks the day when the One Ring was destroyed and the Dark Lord Sauron was overthrown. Every March 25th for the last 20 years, the Tolkien Society commemorates Tolkien Reading Day. This is a day to read and share your favorite Tolkien passages. This is episode number 95 of Lore of the Rings, and today's episode is dedicated to Tolkien Reading Day. We will explore Tolkien's thoughts on what makes a good story that he laid out in his essay on fairy stories. Happy Tolkien Reading Day! Now, let's wander. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On Fairy Stories is an essay that Tolkien wrote and gave as a lecture at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland on March 8, 1939. In March of 1939, World War II was only months away from breaking out, but Tolkien's fiction-writing career was just starting. The Hobbit had been published to much acclaim just two years earlier in 1937. Tolkien was 14 years into his career as a professor at Oxford and had some academic publications to his name. And of course, early drafts of the tales that would become The Silmarillion had already been written for decades. I give you this context so that you can frame in your mind the Tolkien that provided these insights about what makes a great fairy story. We have a 45-year-old professor, father of four children, some of whom are just reaching adulthood, a professor who has established himself as both an academic and a literary author, but he is not yet the master of fantasy that we know him as today. The Fellowship of the Rings is still 15 years away from being published. So we might say, these words are from a developing mind, a mind that has attempted to create a fairy story, but has not yet fully bloomed. So that said, I highly recommend that you go read the essay for yourself. It really is a detailed, well-thought treatise on the art of story crafting in general, and insightful on the craft of fantasy stories specifically. It's also full of Tolkien's subtle yet sharp sense of humor, self-deprecating while challenging the common assumptions of literary thought in his day. I will not attempt to condense the whole 45-page essay into a 15-minute podcast, but rather I want to point out three or four ideas that Tolkien explores about what makes a good story, or in particular, what makes a great fairy story. The first insight I will describe is the difference between willing suspension of disbelief and being truly enchanted in a story. When the human brain engages in fiction, we know what we are reading is not necessarily true. But for learning or entertainment, we are willing to suspend our disbelief of whatever happens in a story. Otherwise, stories would have no power over us. And the fact that stories have been around even before humans had language to tell them points to how innate and natural stories are to the human experience. The land where fairy stories exist is so wide and encompassing that the whole of human experience is caught up in it. The land of fairy, quote, holds the seas, the sun, the moon, the sky, and the earth, and all things that are in it, tree and bird, water and stone, wine and bread, and ourselves, mortal men, when we are enchanted. But great tales go beyond even this all-inclusive principle. As Tolkien is debating the idea that fairy stories are only for children, he has this masterful gem to say, quote, 
Children are capable, of course, of literary belief, when the storymaker's art is good enough to produce it. That state of mind has been called willing suspension of disbelief. But this does not seem to me a good description of what happens. What really happens is that the storymaker proves a successful sub-creator. He makes a secondary world, which your mind can enter. Inside it, what he relates is true. It accords with the laws of that world. You therefore believe it, while you are, as it were, inside. The moment disbelief arises, the spell is broken. The magic, or rather art, has failed. You are then out in the primary world again, looking at the little abortive secondary world from outside. If you are obliged, by kindness or circumstance, to stay, then disbelief must be suspended or stifled. Otherwise, listening and looking would become intolerable. But this suspension of disbelief is a substitute for the genuine thing, a subterfuge we use when condescending to games of make-believe, or when trying, more or less willingly, to find what virtue we can in the work of art that has for us failed. This quote describes the essence of being truly enchanted in a story. Let's take a closer look. A story crafter creates a secondary world. Secondary because the world that we actually live in is the primary world. When we engage in a fairy story, we enter an inner world, a secondary world, that has been designed inside of or underneath the primary world. Sub-created, you might say. More on that in a moment. In the second world, the laws have to hold true. There has to be an inner consistency of reality. Not our reality, mind you. We're not in the primary world. But a consistent sense that the secondary world abides by certain laws. This is one reason why Tolkien provided such detailed descriptions of landscapes and plant life, not to mention his obsession with getting the phases of the moon right in The Lord of the Rings. Those details provide that consistency. And when that inner consistency is not honored, the enchantment is broken, if even unconsciously. You may have experienced this when you watched Rings of Power. In Season 1, Episode 6, Galadriel and Elendil have a conversation about the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. Yet later, the sun seems to be rising in the west, behind the horses as they gallop east, and the people they are supposed to be saving are battling in the dead of night. Perhaps the scene with galloping horses is supposed to be the Numenorians riding into the night, but just the juxtaposition of the sun positions plus the day versus nighttime doesn't have that sense of inner consistency. When that happens, as Tolkien said, quote, The moment disbelief arises, the spell is broken. The magic, or rather the art, has failed. You are then out in the primary world again, looking at the little abortive secondary world from outside. One more quote on the idea of enchantment. Quote, enchantment produces a secondary world into which both a designer and spectator can enter, to the satisfaction of their senses, while they are inside, but in its purity it is artistic in desire and purpose. It's that idea of satisfaction of their senses that I want to highlight. A really good story, when you are enchanted by it, can produce an effect inside of you, making you feel like you have escaped the primary world having entered and explored in a visceral way a secondary world of art. Quote, Such stories have now a mythical or total unanalyzable effect. They open a door on other time. And if we pass through, though only for a moment, we stand outside our own time, outside time itself, maybe. For this reason, Tolkien held literature up as the purest and most difficult art form to achieve. 
Visual art holds up one plane of vision to consider, whereas literature can whisk a reader away to another world entirely, if done well. Which leads to my next principle of what makes a good story from Tolkien: the idea of subcreation. Quote, "Fantasy has also an essential drawback. It is difficult to achieve. Fantasy may be, as I think, not less but more subcreative." But at any rate, it is found in practice that the inner consistency of reality is more difficult to produce. The idea of subcreation is that the storyteller has to subcreate a world within the primary world that we live in, but beyond that, has to convince us that the inner secondary world of the story actually is consistent within itself. Tolkien gives the example of a green sun. Now, in saying "green sun," we can easily imagine a visual of a sun, normally yellow, red, or orange, but in this case, we can visually swap out these colors for green. But that's not enough. The storyteller needs to create an entire world in our minds in which a green sun is actually a credible idea. If the sun were green, what color would the sky be, or the blades of grass in the field? What would the complementary light from the moon or stars be like? What creatures or societies would thrive under a green versus yellow sun? It takes more than just our visual imagination to create fantasy. A storyteller can't simply say "green sun." That's easy to imagine and visualize, but to create a story in which the world is consistent with a green sun is incredibly more difficult to do. However difficult subcreation, particularly in story form, seems to be as natural to the human experience as breathing. As Tolkien says, quote, "Probably every writer making a secondary world a fantasy, every subcreator, wishes in some measure to be a real maker, or hopes that he is drawing on reality." Tolkien saw the idea of subcreation and fantasy as a natural human right, because in Tolkien's religious worldview, quote, "We make in our measure and in our derivative mode, because we are made, and not only made." But made in the image and likeness of a maker. That's maker with a capital M. Now you may have seen a recent meme on social media with a picture of the Lord of the Rings movies that says, "Trigger this fanbase with one sentence." The usual one sentence trigger is, "Why didn't they take the eagles and fly to Mordor?" Surprisingly, Tolkien answered that question 15 years before he wrote the Lord of the Rings, and the answer is a principle to what Tolkien believed made a good fairy story. We'll get to that right after this break. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses. This anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. 
That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to Wandering. So why didn't they fly the eagles to Mordor and drop the ring into the top of the volcanic Mount Doom? The answer is a term that Tolkien coined, eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe is, quote, the sudden joyous turn. It does not deny the existence of discatastrophe, of sorrow and failure. The possibility of these is necessary to the joy of deliverance. An example of eucatastrophe is the eagles arriving at the Battle of Five Armies in The Hobbit. It's the sudden turn of events, when everything seems dark, when hope is about to fail into despair, when evil may fully overcome. A sudden change, a sudden and unlooked-for twist, changes for the good. Further, this sudden joyous turn causes an effect within us, when done right. Quote, it is the mark of a good fairy story, of the higher or more complete kind, that however wild its events, however fantastic or terrible the adventures, it can give to child or man that hears it, when the turn comes, a catch of the breath, a beat and lifting of the heart, near to, or indeed accompanied by, tears, as keen as that given by any form of literary art, and having a peculiar quality. This sudden turn pulls the audience from the brink of despair, back into the light, a cathartic experience that lifts our hearts. It has a renewing effect on us. Having escaped the darkness, we are refreshed with new understanding, strength, and resolve, much like Bilbo's leap over Gollum. I experience this every time I watch The Two Towers. Yes, we know Gandalf said, look to the east at the dawn of the third day, but that was so long ago in movie time. And thousands of orcs have breached the Hornburg, a feat that Theoden thought impossible. Theoden is nearly broken. What can man do against such reckless hate? Aragorn awakes a spark of hope within him, but the only hope is a desperate suicide charge into the enemy's army. The only sure result? A glorious death. But if you aren't affected in some way by Gandalf and Eomer arriving at the top of the slope as the sun rises, and Eomer says, Not alone. If that doesn't affect you, then you're probably a rather unfeeling human. Like I mentioned before, the eagles are often the mechanic that Tolkien used to provide a eucatastrophic moment. Eagles are the messengers of the High King of the Valar, Manwe. This sets them apart, not only because they are messengers and not taxi drivers, but they serve the purposes of the highest power embodied in the world, Manwe, who himself is representative of the creator god Iluvatar. Thus the eagles intervene only on Manwe's will, and only when things seem darkest for the actors of good. Remember, eucatastrophe doesn't deny the possibility of sorrow and failure. Instead, it is a sudden snatching away, just when things are at their darkest. Frodo, Aragorn, Gandalf, and others had dark roads to travel, and many challenges to face, before a eucatastrophe could occur. Simply flying the eagles to Mordor would have robbed the story of that essential element. Perhaps that reason for not flying the eagles is couched too deeply in esoteric literary theory. I have more reasons that are more practical, considering the powers of Sauron, that tie back to that first idea of enchantment because of an inner consistency of reality, but I'll share those another time. I have one final thought from Tolkien. The transcendence that fairy stories provide the feeling that we are transported to another world, another living reality, even though we struggle to articulate with words what that feeling actually is. 
It's a bit long, but Tolkien said it this way, quote, The land of fairy story is wide and deep and high, and is filled with many things. All manner of beasts and birds are found there, shoreless seas and stars uncounted, beauty that is an enchantment and an ever-present peril, both sorrow and joy as sharp as swords. In that land, a man may, perhaps, count himself fortunate to have wandered, but its very riches and strangeness make dumb the traveler who would report it. And while he is there, it is dangerous for him to ask too many questions, lest the gates shut and the keys be lost. The fairy gold too often turns to withered leaves when it is brought away. All I can ask is that you, knowing these things, will receive my withered leaves as a token that my hand, at least once, held a little of the gold. I find that thought to be beautiful. And credit to the academic Becatarnas, who first, for me at least, first juxtaposed that quote from Tolkien with a quote from the preeminent psychologist Carl Jung. This is what Jung had to say, quote, I felt that at some time or other I had passed through the Valley of Diamonds, but I could convince no one, not even myself, when I looked at them more closely, that the specimens I had brought back were not mere pieces of gravel. To quote Tolkien again, quote, All I can ask is that you, knowing these things, will receive my withered leaves as a token that my hand at least once held a little of the gold. These men were near contemporaries, but as far as I know never met, yet both seemed to travel into an imaginary realm, imaginary because it was beyond our reality, yet real enough to explore and reveal truths about our own human experience. Whether it's Tolkien's careful crafting of Middle-earth, or Jung's explorations into the human psyche, fairy stories, when done well, can enrapture us with new worlds, and renew us, if we engage with open hearts, refrain from asking too many questions, and let the power and mystery of the land of fairy enchant us. Join me in the next episode, where we pick up with our hobbit Bilbo, as he escapes from the goblins in the mountain, only to find more problems on the other side. Happy Tolkien Reading Day! My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.